90% of the leadership of the developing world has no theological training. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of What in the World. My name is Jake Lee and I am your host of this podcast. And this is a podcast all about hearing what God is up to. How is God moving globally? How is God moving here locally where I'm at in the Milwaukee area? And kind of through all those, we look at it through the lens of Elmbrook Church, which God has been so gracious to use for many decades now to be part of just amazing things that he is doing. And part of that story um, is Stuart Briscoe being called to Elmbrook Church, fanning that missional flame, being involved in these networks globally. And today we're wrapping up that conversation where we're going to talk. Well, I had a conversation with Stuart about over a year ago now, where we just talked about what it was like for Stuart after his time concluding his senior, being a senior pastor of Elmbrook Church and what that looked like. I just want to acknowledge that this podcast is coming out um, after uh, Stuart has passed away. Uh, Stuart passed away on August 3rd of 2022. And this is something that is really uh, hitting uh, Elmbrook Church and honestly the globe um, incredibly hard and um, their family. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that, that this is something that I don't take lightly putting this out there, but it was a conversation that I think was so important and I really feel incredibly privileged and blessed that I was able to sit with Stuart for about an hour and just talk to him about things that I was passionate about and just hear his insight and his wisdom. And because of that, I really wanted to share that um, with anyone who wants to listen to this podcast and hear what he had to say um, when he talks about his post ministry after being the senior pastor of Elmbrook. And as you're going to see, as soon as we dive into this conversation we had, it really mirrored what happened before Elmbrook, that Stuart remained consistent throughout in what he was passionate about and what he felt God was calling him to. So without uh, waiting any longer, let's dive into this conversation that Stuart and I had. There was a shift um, that I have observed in Elmbrook Church and it came around the time where you and Jill went full time into global ministry. And I'm just kind of curious what what was happening in that time, what was happening at Elmbrook, and help me understand what happened there, I guess. Okay, well, I need to go back to pre-Elmbrook mm-hmm. days. I'd, uh, I, I'd, when, when I was 17, I, I finished with my high school, uh, I, I'd qualified for university at 16, but they wouldn't let me go till I was 18. So I said, what do I do for two years? And they said, your Latin was not good. Do two years of Latin. Oh, wow. Well, I couldn't imagine doing two minutes of Latin, so <laughs> so that didn't work. So I, I stayed till the end of rugby season, mm-hmm. and then I just walked out of school and never went back. And uh, I, I got um, I got a job in a bank, was transferred to another town, was pushed into preaching at seventeen, mm-hmm. and for the next ten, ten or eleven years, uh, I I became a youth evangelist, self self supported, as a bank official, uh, and, uh, and then at the end of, of that that period. Um, I was invited by a, 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 an evangelistic group, an evangelical group called Torchbearers, yep. 
or the Cape and Ray Fellowship of Torchbearers, to give it its Sunday name, uh, to go uh, to leave the bank and go and work with them, which I did. And they immediately began to send me all over Europe because that was the, the ministry was basically fi finding, uh, fi finding German youth who were devastated, their families, their homes, their country was in ruins, and uh, starting to help them by, by raising money to bring them over to England, to our training center, and then send them back to Germany, and then following them up there. And to this day, you, you will find groups of Christ, Christians and Christian churches that were planted by those German teenagers wow. at the end of the Second World, World War. And that's what I was doing. This spread from, from Europe to North America, uh, and at the same time, Jill and I started coffee bar evangelism in England, and this, uh, this just took off. Mm -hmm. Billy Graham heard what we were doing. They wrote it up in the Decision magazine, I started getting letters from all over the world saying, can you come here and set up some coffee bars for us? <laughs> so I wrote back and said, well, how much coffee do people drink in your culture? Some of them said none. So I said, well, a coffee bar's not a good idea then. <laughs> and so, and so, so this, this was how my ministry began to burgeon. Mm. I did that for 11 years with torchbearers. And then for a variety of, of, of reasons, felt that uh, when I was invited by Cape and by Elmbrook right out of the blue to come and be their pastor, mm -hmm. we decided we should do it. And so we uprooted from England and, and came to, to America. I told you about the beginning of, uh, of our time at, at Elmbrook. I, I continued for 30 years as the senior pastor of Elmbrook, but I, re, I, I told the people when they invited me that I already had commitments five years into the future, mm -hmm. uh, and I, in good faith I had to keep those, and I wanted to maintain contact with the, with the outside world. And so I would, I, would, I would only come on condition I was free to, to minister outside Elmbrook. And they they said, well, who's going to who's going to pastor the church? And I, and I said, you are. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean? And so I said, well, let's look at Ephesians four. Mm. And so we we looked at Ephesians four, and this was a new new concept to them that the the leadership of the church job was to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, and. Uh, so they, God bless them, uh, Elmbrook in those days was a very adventuresome group. There were many new believers. They didn't know how you were supposed to do it. And I didn't know because I'd never been a pastor. So yes. we just went by the book. And, uh, and, and it was, it was uh, it, building on my experience in, in Europe, first of all, doing coffee bar evangelism about with unreached, unchurched British youth. Mm -hmm. that, that was just mission territory. Yeah, for sure. And then working in Germany with and German-speaking Europe with the young people devastated by the Second World War, 
Or incidentally, I'd been in the interim. I'd been drafted into the the Marines, mm -hmm. uh, and um, in the Korean War, so that that gave me another entree into what was going mm -hmm. on in in the world, and uh, and and so I've, I brought this was all part of my DNA uh, mm -hmm. c coming to to El coming to Albrook, and. Uh, and and so that, that that was that was how we started off. Now I've kind of lost my train of thought a little bit there, because what what was it you were asking about those days? I went too a bit too far back there. No, it's, I mean you you set the stage and the DNA that carried throughout your time at Elmbrook. And then my question is, when you left the lead pastor role at Elmbrook Church, yeah. and you and Jill transitioned back. I think is your point that you're going back into more of a global and worldwide ministry. Sure. Like, how did that impact the church, and how did that impact you guys? Okay, so they they agreed they they, they agreed to give me the freedom to do overseas, uh, and 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 then I started to do something that really caught their imagination. I used to, I, I would pick out people in from, from my travels on every continent. Um, I would pick out people and bring them back for a few weeks to Elmbrook. Mm. There, was, there was a whole growing group of people at Elmbrook who just absolutely loved that. And so more or less, most of the time, I would have one or two people here from overseas mm -hmm. who'd come. We'd bring them over, we'd look after them. And just give them a feel for for what was happening here, and then send them back to the into their own countries. When did you start doing that? Like what time frame? Oh, when I was during the seventies. Okay, that's good to know. And uh, and actually, that that morphed when Mel took over mm -hmm. into what became known as the International Center, and and Mel Mel worked with me on that. Uh, when I started bringing these people over, and then, uh, given his good methodical mind, mm -hmm. he he said it, it would be better if we brought them all over at the same time. Then they could interact with each other. He said, "Not right now. They bounce around in the church, yes. but we could have it more structured." And. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, when Mel took over from from me as the senior pastor, that was when he took the, the, that that growing missions interest that had come through me bringing people back to to the place. Uh, that that morphed into the international centre. When at the end of thirty years, I was seventy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I decided unilaterally. I tried to get the elders to talk about it, but, but about the future and all this, they weren't interested. <laughs> and they said, "You're doing fine. You can go on Just for keep years." Going. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I decided that that probably enough was was enough mm -hmm. for the good of the church. I was I was still highly motivated for Elmbrook, but. I thought for the good of the church. I, I'd seen I'd seen churches where pastors stayed on too long, yeah, and they create a dependency, and then feed on the dependency they've created, mm -hmm. and that's unhealthy for both the church and the pastor. 
And so they, they, so in the end, I, I said at the end of 2000s, it's the end of the millennium. Mm-hmm. It will be 30 years that I've been here, and I will be 70 years of age. It's a no-brainer. I'm going to step aside. And so the, the immediate question was, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I, I, I would not have had the answer that I have for you now. But I said, I've just been approached by a good friend of mine at Dallas Theological Seminary called Ramesh Richards. He has two earned doctorates, uh, one, one from New Delhi, I think it is, and the other one from Dallas <laughs> in in. Uh, Two, two PhDs or yeah. uh, a TH, uh, I don't know, a Doctor of Theology and, and the other one a PhD. And, uh, and I said, he has he called a conference in Manila in the Philippines, well, actually Subic, Subic Bay in the, in the Philippines, and uh, it, it has to do with, with missions, and he's very insistent that I should go. And uh, but I said I, I, I really don't want to go, uh, and they said why why not? You usually jump at something like this, and I said because it's Holy Week, and that's big here in Milwaukee, good old Lutheran Catholic sure. Milwaukee, and I said the end of Holy Week is Easter weekend. That's a killer, with all the extra services that we have. And I've already promised on Easter Sunday to fly out uh, after all the services to fly to fly out to Zambia in South Africa to be there for Monday morning, and uh, and and I said I don't want to fly out to Subic Bay the week before that. It doesn't make sense. It's too much. Yeah. Anyway, Ramesh Richards seems to be tone deaf when I explained this to him. And so I went, and I'm so glad I did because there were people there from from all over the world, from everything mm-hmm. from the house churches in China to the biggest seminaries in America and everything in between for, to do with the evangelical church. It was a, a remarkable gathering. <coughs> and, um, and Ramesh in his uh, keynote address, said something that blew my mind. He said, I can't, can't quote verbatim what he said, but basically 90% of the leadership of the church in the developing world has no formal theological training. I'll, get, I'll give you that again. 90% of the leadership of the developing world has no theological training. Then he went on to say, and there are reasons for this. First of all, for most of them, there are no institutions of teaching. The second one is this, even if there were, they couldn't afford to go. And which led to the third thing. And even if there were institutions there, and they had the money to go, they couldn't get away from subsistence farming or whatever else it is that they do to stay alive. They they couldn't get away for two or three years to study. So he said, we are producing a fast-growing, exponentially growing church, but without, without the leadership. 
And he said, that is a recipe for disaster. And so he said, we must continue traditional missionary training, recognizing it gets to about 10% of the people. Mm. And what are we going to do with the 90%? And he said, if formal theological training is not doing it, then what would, would do it? And he said, well, the, op the opposite would be informal training. And then he said, Stuart, I want you to come up here. So, so I had no idea he was doing this. He called me up here and he said... Uh, Wait, this is during the conference? Yeah, and <laughs> during his keynote address. And, and he said, okay, th this man, man here is perfectly open with the fact that he's had no formal the theological training. Mm. Not, not because he's opposed to it. And he said, uh, I can't remember how it went, but, but I, I inter interjected here, well, I have three kids, and all three of them have bachelor's degrees, and all three of them have master's degrees, and one of them has a PhD, mm -hmm. and I've paid for all of them. So the, these rumors that I am anti-intellectual and anti-formal training are just wrong. They could not be more wrong. Yeah. But I never had the opportunity. I yeah. started when I was 17, never had time to go to university and uh, never had time to go to seminary. And when I do get a chance to take a break, I plan to go to Bible school. And it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so, so, uh, so then Ramesh turned to me and said, Stuart, I have a challenge for you. I understand you're stepping down as senior pastor you and Jill should spend the rest of your lives going to the developing world and doing informal training of third world developing, uh, developing world teachers. He said, there's a challenge for you. <laughs> what do you do with the challenge so, when you okay, are on the platform of the so, keynote? So back, back to the elders here at Elmbrook. And they said, what are you going to do? And I said, this is what we're going to do. And uh, and they said, don't go away. Hmm. Stay here. Keep your roots deep in Elmbrook. Go from here, supported by Elmbrook, but bring these people back to us. We've got to have our eyes open to the real world. That was the key. How in the world? In this section of the podcast, we dive into the strategies and the mechanics and how we actually try to accomplish fulfilling the Great Commission. How do we want to see every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know Jesus, make disciples of all nations? How do we practically do this? And today we're going to be talking about sending out younger people. And right now, the number of new missionaries being sent out from the West, especially younger missionaries, has drastically decreased. Churches are really struggling to send people out. How do they disciple them? How do they motivate them even to want to do this? And I felt this was a really important thing to put into this episode because part of Stuart's early ministry was so focused on building up and sending out these younger leaders 
that I think it only makes sense that this is one of the ways I think Elmbrook is continuing in that legacy. And so the apprenticeship program at Elmbrook Church started in 2013 by Jan Ketty when the church was trying to figure out how do we strategically move forward and send out younger people. And so what we started to do is there was an application process and a board of people who would work with these younger individuals who felt God stirring in them this call to go. And we had a way for that to happen, where then we would take them, find an appropriate mission agency, or maybe they already had one that was uh, vetted and was good to go with. And then we would help fund them, but also have a mentor walking alongside of them. And then these apprentices would then continue doing this for two months to two years. And so far, we have had the amazing um, chance to send out 69 people so far. And out of those 69, 16 apprentices have now become full-time field workers where this is their full-time job uh, doing ministry in that capacity. It's just kind of crazy to me that we as Elmbrook Church have been able to send out so many people and give them this opportunity um, to see, is God asking me to do this full-time? And even if God isn't, what am I learning in this two months to two years that I can then apply to my normal life that maybe I'm not being called as a cross-cultural worker. I'm not being called to move uh, to a brand new city, but I am still called to make disciples of all nations, but it is going to look a little different for me. So that is one of the ways that Elmbrook Church uh, tries to send out new missionaries and to take care of them, to train them well, so that if this is where God is leading them to serve, they can do it for the long haul and not burn out. This has been How in the World. I really like that keep eyes open to the real world and that yeah. the fact of like, we are going to send you, we want you to stay connected to us because by you going out, one, like you said, you're meeting a need that's out there. Yeah. A, a, a real need for the growing, emerging church, which right now is is just on fire and still just rapidly growing in many portions of the world right now. Yeah. But also there was still this attitude of bring them back to us. We need yeah. to know what's going on. We need sure. to learn from them. And obviously, like you said, with Mel and the International Center, that's been huge to the development sure. and the trajectory of Elmbrook as well. Yes, and also, also another example right and Rod knows is, is uh, Lee. Mm -hmm. Lee. Lee and his wife Terry came with Jill and me to Vietnam. And we, we had a great two weeks with them. And Lee got the bug for, for this kind of work then. And mm -hmm. that, that led to him leaving Northbrook and establishing his new ministry, which he will return to when he he, he took a, th a three-year hiatus for Elmbrook. But his heart is with that uh, is with that uh, training yeah. of uh, informal training, etc. So that that was another outgrowth of these of these things. Well, you're seeing that influence the leaders and like deeply embed itself into the DNA of Elmbrook, which makes sense because. Obviously, even before you, preceding you, there was some idea of like, we have to be involved in mission, not really maybe understanding fully what that looks like. But then you and Jill came over, having been training people, having it in your DNA to go around and equip people, and then continuing to do that throughout your 30 years at Elmbrook, and then eventually launching yourselves into equipping yeah. um, 
Yeah. But you see, you see, actually what we did in the year 2000 to go as ministers at large was in a sense a reversal to what we'd been doing 30 years earlier. Yeah, you went back. Yeah, we, we were back. So we were, we were in familiar time. But we, we had 30 years of new contacts. Mm. 30 years of, of going... Yes. The, 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 in, the early, in the early days, it was mainly Europe and North America. Mm-hmm. When we got into the ministers at large thing, we were in tribal groups in Latin America. We were refugee camps out in the Far East. We were mm-hmm. we were just all over all over the world, touching, touching every imaginable kind of person that that we were able to go to. That's very encouraging to hear. I mean, I know some of this story, but obviously having you kind of fill in pieces that I was missing, it's just very helpful to get kind of the bigger picture. Um, as I'm wrapping this up, this uh, conversation with you, Stuart, the last thing I wanted to ask you is. We've heard a lot about um, kind of your time at Elmbrook. We talked about um, engaging um, global theology, talked about bringing people to Elmbrook, about you going, you guys eventually being ministers at large again, and also the Lausanne, uh, the two different conferences and the movement that that sparked. What are What is a takeaway that uh, you can do one for maybe Elmbrook Church, but also just for... If someone's listening to this and God's stirring something in them, they're not sure what to do with, what could be a takeaway maybe that you could give that person and then also maybe our church as a whole? Well, I, I, I think the, the important thing is we, 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 we've, got to, we, we've, we've got to keep the, the vision of a global church before the ideas of the local church. Hmm. We've, we've got to be teaching people the the local church this is going to be even bigger now than it is right than it has been because the coronavirus has taught people they don't need to gather they can go on the they can go on the mm-hmm. internet or the zoom and it it's like uh, it's like an evangelical delicatessen Mm. You can go and and they'll make a ready-made sandwich for you wherever you go. You can go yeah. bounce around wherever you want. the the the, the big the, the big problem we've had is that for for the last I don't know thirty or forty years, the the American church has has bought into the attractional model, and the attractional model basically mm-hmm. says we have a product. Out here we have a market. The market is not buying our product. What do we do? We rebrand our product and we repackage our product. And then the market that is not touching our product will flood flood into the church. Mm-hmm. That's the attractional model, uh, a caricature of it, if, if you like. The missional model was the reverse of that. Not the idea of change the church, change the branding, change the packaging so that people will come in. It was make absolutely certain of the uniqueness of the gathered people and send them out. Hmm. Now then, the, the problem we've had with the attractional model has been getting the people to go out. They've, yes, they've, yes. 
They've been looking for ways of getting people together, but little interest in going, uh, going out. Now the reverse is going to be true after COVID. They've got used to be going out and just having their little groups and their non-committed uh, gather, gathering sort of thing. And, uh, and I don't know how we're going to get people to, to recognize that the, the missional model is a gathering together for worship, fellowship, and discipleship and a sending out for mission. Mm. The, the, the two, two belong. And we, 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 there'll be an irony. We've had a problem getting people to scatter out of the good of the gathering. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to have a problem getting them together because they're not really interested in scattering mm. in terms of mission. No, they're scattering just for convenience or consumption, not for there you go. There you go. mission. So, we, so I think that I think the the contemporary church in America is going to get a wake up call after mm -hmm. after COVID, and it will have to do with rightly understanding the role of the local church in the context of the global church. I really like that because. Obviously, scripturally speaking, you see a very strong importance put on the local church, but always within context of the global. And yeah. if you, you can fall into the trap of saying the local church has no importance, which isn't scripturally true. Yeah. But more often, I think, we have the issue of we are so focused on our own little tiny corner, the local church, that we ignore what's going on in the globe. And that's never how... Uh, the early churches were supposed to function and how Jesus set it up. The, the Apostle Paul uh, had a good idea about this. He, he simply started one of his letters, I think it's to Corinth, and he said to the saints of Corinth, to, to the church of God in Christ in Corinth. The mm -hmm. church of God in Christ, there's the global church. In Corinth. In Corinth. Bring it down to the... Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great way to put that. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for sitting down for basically an hour with me and having oh, this conversation. Really? Yeah, Ta I kept time flies fun. when you're having fun. Well, <laughs> thank you again, and yeah, excited that I was able to have this conversation with you. It's my pleasure, and I wish you well, Jake. So in this podcast, we got to listen to this conversation where Stuart shared uh, reflecting back on his early years in ministry um, with torchbearers, um, working with uh, German teenagers planting churches, coffee bar evangelism, all of this stuff where he was really taking time to invest in youth and to invest in the future of the church. And it was really fun to just hear how he started in that kind of context of training up these future leaders or these, some of them already were leaders, but training them. And then it's the same thing he kind of shifted into just in a different way after Umbrook, where he really took his time to invest in people who didn't have theological training, but were the future leaders of the church. Um, who are shepherds and equipping them and just pouring into them. And that's the life that Stuart led, um, this life of a shepherd, this life of a teacher, um, an encourager, uh, one who poured into others. For me, it was crazy to think about how much Stuart accomplished um, having left Elmbrook at the age of 70 and spending all this time training the developing world 
and the impact that has had um, on the global church that now we uh, get to learn from and get to all this theology is pouring out of the non-Western church. And there's so much we can learn from them in so many areas. They're more advanced than we are now. And we get to, in some sense, enjoy the fruit of that. And that doesn't mean we aren't still called to go. And that's kind of, in some sense, how we ended this conversation of what does church look like in the future? What does it look like for the importance of the local church and attending, but also the global church? I really appreciated that kind of wrap-up that Stuart had, where he talked about how we need to both gather and then scatter with a purpose. We don't scatter for convenience, we scatter for a purpose to continue to bring the kingdom forward and continue to see Jesus proclaimed um, in every corner of the world. But that does not mean we get to neglect gathering as a local body. That's a great challenge for me um, to implement in my life and to take seriously the gathering and the scattering. And I hope um, for everyone listening to this podcast that that'll be something that you will think about as well. How am I investing into the local body? How am I gathering appropriately? And how am I then allowing myself to be scattered to where God is sending me to make his name famous and to expand the kingdom for God? So in conclusion, I just wanted to say one more time how privileged I feel to be able to have had this conversation with Stuart. I hope you were able to learn something from this conversation and that it uh, motivated you or maybe stirred something in you. I'm praying for that. Um, Thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next time on another episode of What in the World.